Yeah, transition times. I've, I'm in a tra- I've been in a transition time for about three years. <laughs> Who else is in a transition time? <laughs> they don't seem to go away, do they? Transition points are really important, and the response in transition points is, is really vital. Really, really vital. Well, this is going to be interesting for me as well, so I'm going to have fun. Um, one of those mornings where you think you've got the word together, then you realize you haven't, because God gives you something different, or a little bit different, so it's good fun. Okay. I, I, can't, I, I just want to have a silly moment, because I like silly moments. It's good, for, you know, it's good to have fun, isn't it? Steve, you had, you had some good fun with us this morning. Thanks for that. Don't t- get too serious about things. Um, I came across some church bulletin notices. And there's one or two, I just thought, they're funny. I, lo- I like these, it just tickles me, so. If it's not your sense of humor, I apologize for that in advance, but here we go. The sermon this morning, Jesus Walks on the Water. The sermon tonight, Searching for Jesus. <laughs> yeah, some people like that, that's good. <laughs> Miss Charlene Mason sang, I will not pass this way again giving obvious pleasure to the congregation. (laughs) Uh, Let me choose another one. For those of you who have children and don't know it, the nursery is downstairs. It's just, I love the way they misconstruct sentences. It's, uh, um, let me find another one. This is a typo. And this is just, you know, it's just a typo. You'll have to imagine the typo. It's got six o'clock evening massage. (laughs) Massages are in the house. There we go. Okay. I haven't got a clue what to call this this morning, um, so somebody will find it. When it goes on, on the, on, um, down as a, as a download, somebody will find a, a, a name for it. There we go. I've just called it relationships at the moment. But. <clears throat> and I want to start with a verse, and I'm sorry, I haven't got it on the screen because I didn't have time to do it. Um, you just have to open your Bibles, you know, old technology. Open your Bibles, or you can follow it on whatever piece of technology you've got. Um, John chapter 17, verse 17. I think it's John 17. I didn't even write that down properly. Oh, no, it's John 20. Sorry, it's John 20. I did remember that. I just want to pick out, at the moment, one phrase. If it's not John 20, verse 17... Please tell me what it is, (laughs) so I can let you all know, but I'm pretty sure it is. I've been, I I, I looked at this some some while ago, and it's just what Jesus said uh, really brought something home to me. Because he's right in the middle of this, when uh, Jesus, when Mary meets Jesus after he's been resurrected from the dead. Mary being the first person with whom Jesus conversed after his resurrection. And Jesus said to her this, Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to my Father. But go to my brethren and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, and to my God and your God. You know, it's amazing what you find messages out of, isn't it? But there you go. That was that, was that phrase, and the phrase is, My God and your, uh, my father and your father. Because this was the first time 
that Jesus said about our father and not just his father. He talks and he, he spends all of three years really telling his disciples and everyone else around about about his father. You know, and about what the nature and the character and the personality of his father. And of course, father in those days, in their understanding, in terms of um, the sort of the Jewish culture, was Yahweh. Um, you know, he, this this God who is who is who has progressively um, revealed himself to his people. You know, and that's our, the overview of the Old Testament, how this progressive revelation of himself, right the way from, from, you know, from Adam and Eve and then through, um, through Abraham and, you know, and so on and so forth, all the way through to this point where Jesus turns up on the scene, so to speak, and he, he starts talking about this God being his father, which was blasphemy to the Jews. This was blasphemous because Jews couldn't even say the name Yahweh because he was so holy and unapproachable. And, you know, once a year, the priest was able to go into the Holy of Holies where, where, they, you know, where they saw that God the Father resided because, and he had to get himself prepared, and there's all, the, all of that which you know. But, but this, was, this was God, but Jesus kept saying, but he's my father. And then he taught us to pray, you know. Uh, and this is how you pray, you know. Our father in heaven. <laughs> well, you see, our father in heaven. And then he said, but actually my father's a daddy. He's, my, he's an Abba. He's a, he's, a, he's, a, he's a daddy, he's a dad. Now, you try and put those two together, and I have great fun doing this. I love doing this sometimes. I just meditate on this, that, that God who is this huge, enormous, unapproachable, almost, God is, is Jesus said, well, he's my father. And the point of this here is this is when Jesus said, I'm ascending to my father and your father. So the work of the, of the cross... The first thing he, virtually the first thing he said that's recorded when he was raised from the dead is, now he's your father as well as my father. And that is just amazing. That the suffering and, and the, um, the incredible suffering, that in, in not just physically that Jesus endured, because, and it was, as, as you will know, Crucifixion was horrendously physically suffering and painful. But Jesus also suffered one other thing that no other crucifixion or person being crucified had to suffer. And that was, um, he was, his communication, his communion with his father ceased at that moment. Because it was at that point that all the sin and sickness of humankind was placed upon him. And of course, God can't look on sin. So at that point, Jesus was, the first, for the first time ever in his experience, was separated from his papa. 
Now, you, I, can't, I can't imagine what that's like because everybody in this world actually is never entirely separated from God the Father. They may not connect at all, but there's, there's always that point in which God is looking over his creation. But at that moment, there was nothing. And Jesus was completely separated from God the Father. Now, I don't, ha- I don't know what you're like. I just can't, I can't comprehend what that would have been like for him. It's, it's perhaps worth a moment at some point doing that. Just thinking, what, what, was, what was Jesus suffering at that point? I, I don't want to get morbid about it in one sense, but it really is important that we understand what Jesus did. And then, you know, as he said, he gave up his spirit and he died. Because the moment he gave up his spirit, or anybody does, I guess, they die. Because he was raised from the dead. And he comes and he says, now you can know my father because of what I've done for you. And I'm, we, you can call him your own father, your own daddy. Wow. You know, I just find that amazing. (laughs) Now, I know we know, you know, (laughs) I know we know, um, but there's more to... The Greek Greek word for knowing is often trans... it's, It's often not just in our heads, it's an experiential knowing. It's something that we know in our, deep down, in our inner person. It's not, well, I know that. Yeah, I know that. You know, I know that two and two is four, but that doesn't mean I experience it. You know, I, it's like somebody, somebody can say, here's a, here's a recipe for a cake and you can make it, but you can't experience it. The only way you experience it is eating it. It's that sort of knowing. I just want to encourage you to know Daddy. Let me just give you some examples. Sometimes I just I will sit and I'll meditate, um, and I'll I'll just think that the God who spoke creation into being is my daddy. The the, God, the Father God that um, that spoke uh, placed a star in place is my daddy. It's, you know, it's, it just blows your mind completely. That, that how, can I, how, can, how can I call him daddy when he's out here? So, you know, but that's exactly what Jesus did. He brought the two together and he said, no, this is your daddy. You can approach your, you know, he's your dad. And he spoke in a language like, like sons and, and daughters will speak to a dad. See, it's amazing. I just, I can't, I find it, you know, I just, language defeats you in the end. So to say, and we do very, you know, and we encourage you to do so, and I do regularly, to encourage you to say, I'm your son, I'm your daughter, is actually to really grasp hold of this fact that we're living as daddy's sons and daughters. Amazing. (laughs) Amazing.
Of course, some of the time and some of the problems that the that the disciples had, one of them is in John 14. I don't turn to it, but Thomas, you know, Thomas said, because um, Jesus said to him, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. I mean, that's pretty, pretty straight. No one comes to Daddy except through Jesus. And then he says, if you'd known me, you would have known my Father also. And from now on, you know him and have seen him. Then Philip says, sorry, not Thomas, Lord, show us the Father and it's sufficient for us. They just didn't get it. it was, they could not comprehend. And that's, in, <laughs> in a sense, that, that's what we all struggle with. And it's just best to accept it and live in the good of it. I think Jesus got exasperated a bit in the end. You know, he says, have I been with you so long and yet you've not got hold of this, Philip? You know, come on. Okay. That's the first part. I don't know how these connect. You're going to have to work that one out yourself. Part two is this. Matthew 18. Actually, I'll try and bring them together because I, I think God helped me a little bit. Matthew 18, starting at verse 15. I'm I'm going to read this. I don't apologize for reading the word of God. It's really important to do. If your brother or sister, by that, um, it means fellow, fellow disciple. That's really what it means. If your brother or sister sins, go out, go and point out their fault just between the two of you. If they listen to you, you've won them over. But if they will not listen, take one or two others along and say, so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. If they still refuse to listen, tell it to the church. And if they refuse to listen even to the church, treat them as you would a pagan or tax collector. Truly I say to you, whatever you bind on earth will be or will have been bound in heaven. Because that's the meaning of the tense. And whatever you loose on earth will have been loosed in heaven. Again, truly, I tell you that if two of you agree on earth about anything they ask for, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven, by Daddy in heaven. For where two or three gather in my name, there I am with them. And I'm just going to go on to the next bit as well. So that's the first part, and then we get on to the parable of the unmerciful servant. Then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times. He was sort of playing, you know, fairly low. Seven times is hard enough, so let's go for seven. Is that all right, Jesus? And of course, Jesus says, no, I tell you, it's 70 times seven. In other words, it's the, in, in their thinking, it was like a, a huge number. Huge number of times. 70 times seven is almost like the perfection multiplied by itself and times ten, you know. So it's, it's just this... You can never stop forgiving your brother and sister. And then he says this, Therefore the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began the settlement, a man, and I'll read it as it would be today, a man who owed him 200,000 years of wages was brought to him. 
Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had been sold to repay the debt. At this the servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will repay everything. The servant's master took pity on him, cancelled the debt and let him go. So this guy owed 200,000 years of wages, which is the size of a business. Pretty big business if you work that out in people years. <laughs> okay, I don't know what it equates to. But then the servant went out. He had found out that his fellow servant, who owed him a hundred days of wages, he grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. So this guy was now after what he was owed, and it was a hundred days of wages. But he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. When the other servants saw what had happened, they were outraged and went and told their master everything that had happened. Then the master called the servant in. You wicked servant, he said. I cancelled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he could pay back all he owed. Then Jesus says this, This is how my heavenly Father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or your sister from your heart. That's pretty stern, actually. Um, really, I'm not particularly going to go into that, but um, the, the, the point I want to make here is forgiveness is of the heart. And it doesn't matter how big the debt is, whether it's a small debt or relatively small debt or a huge debt that, you're in, that is impossible to be repaid. The issue is the same. It's an issue of, do I forgive from the heart? With true repentance, which means, you know, you turn around. And it's, it's kind of interesting that Jesus talked about that when he was talking about discipline in the church. Because that's, that's the context. If you go back, if that's what he was talking about, about forgiving sins and about, you know, if you've been sinned against, go and sort it out. And we say that, you know. We will say if you, you know, often it comes up at times like communion or, you know, or whatever, because that's, that's a good point of time to, to, to sort out any, you know, if you feel you've been wronged, is to sort that out with a, with a fellow disciple. Now then, in the middle of all that, and I I find this fascinating, in the middle of all that, Jesus said this, Truly I tell you, whatever you bind on earth will have been bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will have been loosed in heaven. If two two of you on earth agree about anything they ask for, it will be done for them, by my daddy in heaven. For where two or three gather in my name, there I am. Now I've been around long enough and been in enough small meetings for that to be often quoted. Well, never mind, there's two or three of us here together and Jesus is here. Well, yes. But we're missing the whole point of what Jesus was saying. I quite like understanding the Greek word. The Greek word for agree is symphonio, from, the, from which we get the word symphony. 
So what Jesus was saying is where two or, two or three of us, or two even, are in symphony together, then ask whatever you will and my Father will do it for you. Uh, Jonathan, oh, I'll need those clips in a minute. I'll just give you a, a minute of notice. So if, I, I love that, that context of symphony. Um, concordant sound. <laughs> concordant sound. Have you got those? Are you ready? Or? I've just got, I've got some YouTube clips. They won't come up on, as, as videos. Just listen to the sound. If, if you want to know, the first one is the overtones. Because you probably know to know, okay? I hope you see overtones. <laughs> Do not get up and dance at this point, please. Brian, stay in your seat. Okay, Jonathan, thanks. Do you want to do the next one? So that's, that's sort of four-part harmony, four or five-part, well, four-part harmony, really. Barbershop Quartet, you used to be known. Okay? That's symphonic because they're, they're creating a sound made up of different parts that creates one beautiful sound. Okay? This is, a, this is a slightly different one. This is more classic that you would understand as a symphony orchestra. Vivaldi. Okay? Now, I'm going to play you a discordant sound. They're lovely. They're symphonic sounds, okay? I can't remember this guy's name. Um, I could probably tell you. I don't particularly want to hear it again anyway. When it comes, probably you won't either. But this is, this is, well, I use the word discordant. There's no, I don't see any symphony here at all. Okay. Probably some people would find symphony here. That had 4,000 hits on YouTube. So some people listen to it. Well, I did, actually, but it's a whole symphony like that. Okay? I thought it might be helpful if we understand what symphony sounds like. So it's in the middle of this context of Jesus talking and teaching about forgiveness, about forgiving one another, but then he, right in the middle of this, he suddenly, almost suddenly out of the blue, starts talking about prayer of agreement. And that what we, what we agree together, 
what we're in symphony about together, what, what our hearts are, in, are together on in symphony, and our different parts come together, and the only needs two, our Father will do for us in heaven. What, and therefore, whatever we loose, whatever we agree together in symphony and loose on earth has already been loosed in heaven. And whatever we bind on earth, the converse, will have been bound in heaven. Now that is incredibly powerful. It's often called the prayer of agreement. And I, I have to therefore sometimes think, come to a conclusion, and I'm going into territory here that's difficult because God is still... Um, God is still, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, sovereign. Okay, we don't always know why prayers aren't answered. But sometimes, let me at least say this, sometimes I think we haven't come together in symphony properly. Because we can say, you see, I can say, and I often do, I agree. I agree with that prayer. But are our hearts truly at one, and have we, are there any issues between us? So that there's no forgiveness or not enough forgiveness. <laughs> because that's, that's the... See, the, the meat is in the middle and the, the, the two pieces of bread that make the sandwich is about forgiveness. One's an unmerciful servant and the other is, you know, Jesus saying, well, it's not just seven times, it's 70 times seven. You need to forgive one another. I find another thing, I'm, just, I'm not far off done actually, but I want to uh, just... My, in my thinking here, my mind went back to Genesis 11. Uh, the Tower of Babel. Um, and I, you don't necessarily need to turn to it. it I, I will just read it. If you want to, it's, it's, it's the first nine verses of Genesis 11. Um, it's almost like a, a, a pause in Scripture. And this, this sits there as a it's one of those sort of just you know it almost doesn't re- relate somehow. But uh, this I find it, again I just find this fascinating. Now the whole earth or the whole world or probably what what we should mean here probably is the whole of the known world at the, by the, for the writers you know those the, who who wrote this was probably Moses the known world so it, it, they didn't know about the Incas probably or you know. But the known world at that time had one language and a common speech. Um, and as people moved, moved eastward, they found a plain in Shina and settled there. I think that's in Babylonia. So this was in, this was in the time of, it's, it's the sort of Middle East. <clears throat> but they had one language because they moved out from one place, so they still kept their language. Then they said to each other, come, let us make bricks and bake them thoroughly. They used brick instead of stone and bitumen, bitumen for, for mortar. So they developed to the point where they could basically build more than one story high. Then they said, come let us build a city for ourselves with a tower that reaches to the heavens so that we may make a name for ourselves. Otherwise we will be scattered over the face of the whole earth. But the Lord came down to see the city and the tower the people were building. And he said, if one... As of, if as one people speaking the same language they've begun to do this, then nothing they plan to do will be impossible for them. 
Mm. Come, let us now go down and confuse their language so they will not understand each other. So the Lord scattered them from over there all over the earth and they stopped building the city. That's why it's called Babel because there the Lord confused the language of the whole world. From there the Lord scattered them over the whole earth. So the key issue here, well, A, there's no, there's no indication that these were followers of God. We don't know. They may have been, they may not have been. Um, however, they, were certainly, they certainly had a lot of pride and arrogance because they said, we, we want to build a name for ourselves. We want to build this city which will be a showcase. You know, maybe it's going to be the, one of the wonders of the world. And God needed to take some action. Now, I don't know what action you think God would have taken. Why didn't he just strike them all down, you know, poof, <laughs> type of thing. But he didn't. And what he did, he said, well, look, they must have had this little conference in heaven, you know. <laughs> this conference going on. What are we going to do? Okay, well, um, why don't we just confuse their language? Why don't we scatter them so they can't communicate together properly? And the city didn't get built. But, but the point of this is, is that when a people, whether, and frankly, I think, whether they're believers or not, when a group of people are truly in unity together, this says that God himself cannot stop it. Now, that's, that's a negative, okay? In other words, they had purpose to do this and we, could, that, that, we couldn't stop them, which is partly why vision statements and mission statements are so important, as long as everybody buys into it and is in symphony together about it. Okay? Then we come to the point where, where God has to deal with it by scattering their language so they can't understand each other, so they lose their sense of unity. So even you take, in a sense, take God out of the equation. There's amazing power in unity. Now you put God in the equation and he's our Papa Daddy and we know Father for ourselves, and we are in symphony together, making a wonderful sound together in agreement, what immense power the church, because that's really what it's about, that's what Jesus was talking about, he was talking about the church, what immense power the church has. Huge power. I mean... It's only really, un, it's, it's under God, but there's nothing else to be compared with it. There's nothing which is as powerful as the church united. And A, A we need to understand that. B, we need to grasp hold of it. C, we need to forgive one another, make sure we're walking in unity. And D, be very careful what we ask for. Because whatever we ask for, Father, it will, will do it in heaven. <laughs> What incredible power. Amazing. Amazing. You know, it puts a different complexion on. Well, let's come together for a prayer meeting. Well, actually, it doesn't need to be a prayer meeting. You can agree together. As long as you agree together, you can be in Tesco's or Starbucks or whatever. You know, you understand. It's, it's a life. It's living life. It's the prayer of agreement. 